Are you enjoying Chat Tan Looks 3? If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table, where you can purchase, if you'd like, any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast. You can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise. Can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for real? (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. (laughs) Thank you. I see that uh, I've made some effort and you haven't made a single bit of effort. I look I haven't actually. I haven't even ironed my t-shirt and I've right. got pajama bottoms on and I, I did run a brush through my hair but I put some lipstick on. Really? That was my one thing. DJ. You're looking like you're gonna go disco dancing or something later. Yeah, I know. I'm only going disco dancing from the uh, waist up though because I got tracky dance on under here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little something I was playing to leave to the imagination but there you go. Yeah. Is this in honour of, of, the, of the new Chat 10 cocktail that uh, somebody suggested that we now have? Yeah, thank you very much for that. That was a uh, chatter called Jeremy Harris, who uh, I think I mentioned that this might be a, uh, a shambolic uh, gathering as per usual with poor uh, visual and sound quality, although we've got new mics, so hopefully we do. a bit better. Um, Very and, uh, Jeremy <laughs> said that the shambolic sounds like a particularly terrible cocktail, um, whereupon um, others jumped in to invent the shambolic. And I, so I got on the uh, WhatsApp to my friend George, uh, George and Derek, who are both excellent foodies and cocktail lovers, and I said to George, can you make something called a shambolic? And so he very cleverly came back with it's spelled C H A M B O L I C. So key ingredient being sparkling wine. Hello, Katie Chops. Oh. How are you doing? Um, and so the shambolic is half a shot of triple sec, one shot of white rum, half a shot of lemon juice. Shake it with ice, pour it into a large martini glass, and top it up with cold sparkling. The shambolic. Okay. I have actually ingredients. Sorry. Oh, but you- all right. So I, I didn't. I don't. Um, I'm a cocktail drinker, so I don't have all the spirits in my house. Your friend took time out of his busy day to compose you a beautiful special cocktail, <laughs> which I've made. But somehow, Lee Sales, television's Lee Sales. Too good to oblige. Well, I thought that if I got stopped by the police on the way to the bottle shop and the excuse was um, my friend George invented a cocktail and I need to make it and I don't have triple sec, that they might think that that was non-essential and then it might be ABC Fat Cat busted on the streets for non-essential activity. Speaking about being busted on the streets, I had the greatest parent. <laughs> she knows what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> had the world's greatest parenting moment this afternoon when we um, tipped everybody out of the house to go for a totally legal 
run to the park with the dog to like zoom around to the ball you know and um anyway a certain householder who's a teenager who's like wasn't massively into the whole idea um brought a book and a sound source and headphones so that she could continue her musical education. At the moment, she's listening to My Fair Lady. Uh, yesterday it was West Side Story. You'd totally approve. Anyway, but not into the idea of running around. <laughs> and so absolutely refused all maternal instructions to get active, sat down under a tree to read her book, and then the police showed up <laughs> and formally cautioned her <laughs> reading a book under a tree. Gold. It was under a tree. Captain uh, Pedantic here reminds me it wasn't under a tree. It was near a tree. Anyway, so um, my kid is now her first interaction with the police is being formally cautioned for <laughs> quietly reading a book in a park. And what was her reaction to uh, getting a police warning? Look, she um... <laughs> I was just going to have my earring fiddled with all night there. Um, her reaction was like brilliantly teenager. She was just she didn't quite eye roll at the cops, but it was definitely there about to happen. She was just a bit like, really? <laughs> and I was just like, I was, the cops came up to me first and said, is that your kid? And I said, <laughs> yes. And they said, well, you know, you're allowed to use the park, but you have to be exercising and you can't just be sitting around doing nothing. It has to be the only valid utilization of this public space is if you are exercising. So that kid is going to have to start exercising or she's not allowed to be here. Whereupon I just said, just, can you just wait here for, I'll oh, get her over here. I'd like you to deliver this message yourselves. And so I like whistled her up and she came kind of like mooching over and had to be <laughs> by the cops to like. There is no, there's no contempt on earth like the contempt of a teenage girl. Oh my God. It was the sweetest moment as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I've been walking on air ever since. I was just like, it was brilliant. It's <laughs> funny how, um, hey, what was that? Just to be backed up by the police just after having a small run-in with your kid, like about like, come on, you need to run around. No, you don't. Well, oh, here's the police now saying it. I mean, <laughs> it's completely bizarre, but at the moment, at, in the moment, it was there are some, there are some bizarre things going on. The one that really strikes me is that even though I know that the temptation when things are stressful is to comfort eat, I would think that intellectually, like I'd be able to resist that. Uh, no, I I cannot believe the food that I'm currently eating and cooking. So today, I mean, I'm just I've basically just resorted to savagery with the the level of what I eat. Breakfast, I haven't cooked myself bacon in like 20 years, bacon and egg roll, backed up immediately with a hot cross bun. Morning morning tea, slice of carrot cake. Lunch was actually all right. It was um, tofu and vegetable stir fry and rice. Afternoon tea, peach tart that I'd made with like 500 grams of butter in the, the recipe. Um, dinner, a bowl of roast potatoes and two crumpets dripping with butter. <laughs> and now I'm backing it up with some Daryl Lee Rocky Road. <laughs> and a glass of Pinot Noir. Well, how have you gone the double crumpet with a roast potato? I mean, that just sounds like because that's just some carbs taken too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like 
I, I opened the fridge. It's like you're just zeroing in on stuff that seems like comforting and familiar. I just, I just, it's not, it's not an accident that the shops have run out of flour though, is it? And even no. yeast, I mean, when does yeast ever run out? And yet it is, if you go to the supermarket, the yeast, the baking powder. I actually was um, about a week ago in a shopping centre in the supermarket and I found a giant jar of baking powder, like bigger than I would ever buy, um, that had somehow got like missed and put back in a, the wrong shelf. I mean, the actual baking powder shelf was totally empty and I feel like I beat the system. I accidentally got this giant vat of baking powder. But like there is a, people are just cooking stuff that they normally wouldn't because of that kind of flight to security. I mean, this is the cookbook that I'm cooking out of at the moment. Um, it's it's actually one of my favourite cookbooks. It's by a woman called Anya Dunk. Yeah. I bought it in a Tasmanian cookbook, uh, book sh uh, shop. She's kind of, she's Welsh-German, I believe, and it's the most beautifully photographed book. It's got just lovely, lovely pictures which she's taken herself. Mm. But she, it's 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 noodles, dumplings, strudel, how to make your own quark. It's insanely good. And I just, a quark. Quark, it's basically strained buttermilk. So you can make buttermilk, which is, um, you know, milk with an acid um, added, and you just put it in a muslin. And quark is actually like, it's quite a low-fat cheese. It's kind of like a farmer's cheese, and you can use it for all of those German cheesecakes and strudels and things. It's like, it's it's the bomb. And Anya tells you over four hundred pages how to mess with that shit. It's brilliant. Do you know what? So I've done two recipes. I'm trying to restrict myself to cooking sweet stuff only on the weekend. Otherwise, I reckon every day I'd be cooking something ridiculous. Um, so I think cooking. Oh. I've been cooking out of a book. Actually, maybe you gave it to me. Did you give me the cook and the baker? Yes, I did. Thank you for ripping so out the page with my loving inscription. <laughs> um, so I've made two recipes that have got this ingredient that I'd never heard of. In fact, I'm not even entirely sure how to pronounce it. It's not an ingredient. It's a combination of stuff. Frangipane? Frangipani? Frangipan. Frangipan. Almond meal and yep. butter whipped with sugar, and then if you're very clever, you put an armagnac in there as well because that absolutely oh, that'd be beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. just talk among yourselves for a moment. <laughs> I've just got a lovely view of her track suit pants. So, this frangipan, as she says, almond meal, um, butter, sugar, a little bit of vanilla extract. Oh, there it is. Yep, exactly. Well done. That's <laughs> These people have actually got a cafe or they, you know, in Bondi and it's so good because it's in a strip that's all kind of like, you know, what's that thing where you have to eat like a dinosaur? Um, paleo. Paleo. And, you know, green juices and then these bad boys and they just do like add some more butter. All the um, recipes in it are really delicious. So um, so it's also got eggs in it. And so it's like a sort of, you'll rec you'd recognise it if you ate something. In it. You, you often get it in sort of pastries and stuff. So one of the recipes was a pear slice. So it was um, yeah. a pastry base spread with that frangipan and then pears on top glazed with some, um, was it honey heated up? Can't No. Uh, apricot jam, apricot jam heated up, yeah, and, um, cinnamon. And oh, then today I made these peach tarts that were 
I just, you know, blind baked sweet crust pastry, the frangipan, which sort of when cooked comes like a sort of gra- just like a grainy cake really. And then you've pre- Shortbread. It's a cross between a shortbread and a cake basically. Yeah. Um, and then you pre-roast some um, peaches sliced in sugar and then you stick them on top and then you bake the little tarts and you serve it with some extra peaches and some toasted flake almonds. Beautiful. Um, I have I made some hot cross buns the other day with some baker's flour that I've been hoarding and um, they were like I used that um, method called the Tangjong method which is where you um, which is where you make a sort of a water roux with flour and then you sort of knead it into the dough and it makes it incredibly soft and you know we should we've got to stop carrying on about carbohydrates in a second there's my buns Oh, yeah, yum. Yeah, they work very pretty nice. well. Very nice. Do you like a very spicy hot cross bun? I like quite a spicy one, like a lot of sort of mixed spice type flavour. Just feel like this is a setup question that's going to end up with you panning me for not having enough carrots in my carrot It's like fruit mince tart as well because people have very particular things they yeah. like. like. I quite I put ginger in mine, which I think is oh. not orthodox, um, and also no peel absolutely not like oh, no peel okay the beauty of making your own hot cross buns means you can put the stuff that you want in there and i'm i like currants not sultanas oh god there's nothing as awful as a sort of swollen sultana too big <laughs> too weird too cooked fruit well current however i'm happy with that also some diced dried apricots yes please no okay. thanks all right good good to know um so i've been trying to offset my uh just ridiculous eating with um exercise so a mate has got me into this thing which is very unusual for me which is i've been doing a daily yoga thing on youtube it's called yoga with adrienne it's apparently one of the most popular of the online yogas i'll keep an eye on the side of the comments to see if people go oh yeah yoga with adrienne so i'm doing the like adrienne from the rocky movies no it's just some chick called adrienne um, and so I do yoga with her, but I've just, I've never liked yoga. I'm not really into it. So, but only my figure, like, well, what else have I got to do? So I'm doing the 30 day yoga with Adrienne. Right. Someone's just suggested that you update your Tinder profile to say that you like your buns spicy. <laughs> Which is a pretty great idea. I already yeah. have. I just did it. Oh my God. Here come all the Adrienne. Yes. Yes. Also, oh, I have. Oh, yeah, it's all, the, it's all the Adrienne people. It's all the yoga lovers. Yeah, see, see, they all love it. I just, I don't know, I don't love yoga. I much prefer going for a walk, which I've also been doing. Yoga just often makes me just feel anxious because I think I could have done a whole heap of other stuff with this half hour. I know that that's, you know. That's why I don't really like it. And I feel like, okay, I've set aside this half an hour and I'm not even like sweating and feeling like I want to throw up. And that to me is what the essence of exercise should be. I have another couple of crumpets, mate. <laughs> You haven't got the crumpet sweats after four crumpets with butter. I had two. Two crumpets. How dare you accuse me of having four crumpets? I had two. <laughs> oh, you're laughing like Mark yeah. Down at that press conference about yeah. butters and kebabs. Oh, so good. I just, that was so good because, um, as uh, our friend Miranda said, um, it's just typically what happens when you get completely hysterical because you're so tired and all of a sudden something lodges in your brain and it's not really funny but you can't stop. 
Yeah, exactly. And it just for some reason it just tickles your funny bone and then you're just away and you just cannot get whatever it is that's making you laugh out of your head. But yeah, it was it was quite endearing, I thought. Anyone who doesn't know we're talking about the West Australian Premier got the giggles in the middle of a press conference because somebody asked a question about a runner who'd stopped for a kebab and got in trouble or something or other and the Premier was like, it's fine, we're not cracking down on runners who stop for kebabs. I mean, I find it odd that you would, but anyway, then he just started giggling and he could not stop. <laughs> One thing I have been enjoying this week just while we're, um, now that we've wandered onto the uh, treacherous terrain of um, press conferences is... I love how hard ass you've become with your um, with your summaries of the prime minister's press conferences, and particularly, I enjoy like I just would like a little more information about how you approach because I'm finding because I'm sort of doing a bit of desultory live tweeting. I wander off. I'm not nowhere near as merciless as you, um, but I find that I hang around waiting for the broadcast to start. And then once he starts talking, I can make a cup of tea for like maybe a couple of minutes while the preamble rolls out and then right. I can make it in back for with a piping beverage for the actual whatever's going to be announced. But your technique is that you obviously listen very closely and then you just you just sum him up before he's even stopped talking and I've got to say that I my heart goes out to that man because that's like it's exactly like doing a half-hour podcast with you because, like, at 29 minutes in, and nobody has ever set a half-hour limit for our podcast except <laughs> you, and, like, it's the internet, there's plenty of room, but no, 29 and a half minutes, you're giving me the old yep, 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 yep. Anyway, well, yes. Anyway, well, to summarise, and that poor Prime Minister who's, like, busting a gut for you and your children and your children's children you're just like, wrap it up, dude. Okay, I've already published a concise summary of your remarks and we're still talking. The other day, <laughs> I looked at your precise summary and it had been published 23 minutes ago and we were still going. So do you think, just, I should have asked okay. you this not in the show, but I will now. Do you think that my summaries are hitting all of the notes that were relevant and that you need to know? I feel like that's a trick question because obviously the answer is yes and you're like a puppy asking for a pat right now. Yes. No, I just wanted to check because I just thought, because look, no, you, you're absolutely right. I am pretty ruthless with the summary. I think we've established, I think listeners of this podcast know that there's nothing I like better than a sharp anecdote oh. and to the point, right? And so... guys' wardrobe yet? Blue tie, red tie, beige <laughs> tie, blue tie, beige tie. So it's a combo of... I think two things that I'm trying to do, I, I on day one I thought, well, I could do what I think you're doing, which is as it goes you're sort of just doing a tweet so it's individual tweets that, you know, sort of run you through and so you might have by the end of it 28 tweets. But then I thought what happens if you do that is you tweet stuff that actually people don't, you know, it might be interesting to know but do you need to know it? So my yardstick is what is the new information and what do people actually need to know out of this? So if it's just something like we're all working together, I think, okay, we don't need to know that. We already know that. We know that from yesterday. It's not new. Don't need to summarise it. So I wait to hear, and I, I do listen, as you said, really carefully. I wait to hear what is the new information. And it's often buried in a lot of bits and pieces. And so when I get those, then I sort of jot them down. And then what I try to do on the hop is turn it into something that is in a logical order and that flows. 
my favorite thing is when you reorder his ass. Like that is very funny. And also every now and again, it doesn't happen every press conference. Um, every now and again, you throw him a little bone and you include one of his generalities. So you'll be like, important for us to be working together. And I'm like, oh, what, did you have an extra crumpet this morning? You're really getting rude. You're like, yes, yes, you can have your little generalisation. <laughs> one line in my br brutal summary. <laughs> no, and so then, and then the reason that sometimes I'll hit send on it before we're at the end is, um, and sorry, the other reason I do it in one thing instead of multiple tweets is because I think people sometimes, yes, everyone's busy. We don't have time to stuff around. You just want to go to one place and see what you need to know. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, um, the reason I tweet it. Sorry, the reason I do it before the end sometimes is because when the po so you know press conference, it's well, for people that don't know this, it's usually politician speaks and then they take some questions. At the end of the bit where they finish speaking, usually they have shared everything they want to share. Um, and then after that, if there's going to be any new information, it's got to come from salient questions being asked. And usually the most obvious and relevant ones will get asked early. But I think often it's very rare, actually, that in the questions you do get more useful information. And I blame that, that there's two things I blame on this. One is people asking double and triple barreled questions. Oh, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. And how? I just, all right. You um, and because what that allows the politician to do is just answer the bit they want and ignore the other parts and, and whatnot. The other thing is that there's no follow-up, that reporters don't follow up other reporters. So, you know, I ask, what did you have for breakfast? The minister doesn't answer it. The next person just asks a totally different question instead of going, no, no, um, sorry, minister, you just said what you had for lunch. What we actually want to know is what you had for breakfast. Like that doesn't often happen, which means it's easy for the person answering to not answer um, questions very thoroughly. And so that's why I tend to, after I've heard a few questions, I tend to think I've, we've heard everything that we're going to hear out of this that's useful. Well, sometimes they do uh, follow up and then they become TikTok memes like our friend Andrew Proven, which is, God, I've got to say, it's uh, one of the great, great, great things emerging from this whole crisis. I mean, yeah, I'm that. we're not kind of super flush with uh, great things that have happened, but um, that is one of them for sure. But oh I, do, I, I do trust that uh, I'm not offending anyone with my summaries and that they are considered useful. <laughs> No, well, um, you, you should, did you catch the ugly mood that occurred on Friday when you didn't do a summary? No. Because oh, I was alone with that. Like I was just sort of doing a few kind of um, my style, you know, tweets uh, about what, uh, what the Prime Minister was saying. And um, uh, there was a lot of people just saying, talk for hand, I'm just waiting for the sales summary. I'm not watching. And I'm like, oh, I don't no, know. Dear. It's like, is she definitely doing it or like, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, wow. Uh, when it became clear that you weren't there doing it, there was an ugly, oh, um, I was I was homeschooling. <laughs> I'm just trying to send a, um, we have had a number of requests for um, Gwen to, you know, return and do that horse thing again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to like, see who salutes because I don't know. Like, if I think she's essentially chemical restraint uh, by her family. The best thing about last week was, um, oh, last fortnight, whenever it was, was that um, Gwen's mum was watching from uh, the UK. <laughs> it was just like, no, Gwenny! <laughs> screaming, no, don't do the horse. 
Oh, no. Yeah, I tweeted before the link to us doing this and one of the very first comments from SM Ward 3 was, will that lady that did the horse face do it again? Ooh, yeah, I think there's a public need. Yeah. I think so. Let's see if we can get her up. Um, so what's been happening? Uh, well, I mean, God, I don't know, like just getting used to the same uh same daily structure every day i can say like a tiny part of me kind of loves it i i you know it's certainly um i don't know you sort of think differently about the things that are important obviously you also reacting to sound massively differently from the way i used to like i heard some people outside my house kind of just laughing loudly and carrying on and i was i rushed out there like it was a car accident or something because it's so unusual to hear multiple voices that you don't already know, like in a loud conversation. You just don't hear groups anymore. It's kind of amazing. And I live right under the flight path. I, you wouldn't understand. Um, and just it's so quiet, you know. I just mm. I'm so um, susceptible to noise now. Are you actually um, doing, like I, I sort of thought, oh, I'm getting heaps of reading and stuff done, but actually because I'm working very hard, I'm, not really reading much or watching. Yeah. I'm probably doing more than you, I reckon. I've got a couple of books that I read. I just finished this book. It's called um, The Great Thing About Having a Visual um, Medium here is I Can Do This. Like, yeah. And actually the books that I'm reading at the moment are in hard copy for some reason or other. Um, this is by uh, a Melbourne writer called Ronnie Scott. It's his first novel, although um, he's sort of well-known in literary circles for um, starting the publication The Lifted Brow, it is such a good book. Like it's, it is unlike in structure. It's not even the structure isn't a thing. It's, uh, oh, dog, nah, she's in. She's in the room. I'll put her. I'll put her on stream in a second. Oh, um, good. So this is. Um, so the story, it, it, it's about a group of friends, like a bit, um, a group of friends in who are like a bunch of guys who are sharing houses and kind of like dating and flirting with each other. And it is not even the story of the book, the story of the writing is completely, it's the word that springs to mind is it's got this, incredible rhythm to it which is technically really impressive and funny and just changes sort of rhythm every now and again in a way that is so impressive i don't know it's it's very very clever and funny and i really loved it i thought it's one of the best first novels i've read it's mm. amazing actually yeah so cool. Definitely a good one to um, to pick up in lockdown. Um, I also um, I read this a while ago because I read it before it was published. This is Julia Baird's book, Phosphorescence, which um, look it deserves to be mentioned just for its beautiful cover. It's yeah, that's lovely. Is that yeah. a hard? Yeah, I, um, I actually I read the book when um, I got it for sort of a review and. I immediately sent it um, to somebody I know uh, overseas who has been very unwell because I knew that it would be the perfect book for her. And then I went and bought this at the shop and it's a hardcover, it's gorgeous. But like so many writers are in um, really deep 
trouble with their new books at the moment because that quite delicate ecosystem of putting a new book out into the world is is kind of shut down, right? Like so the Sydney Writers Festival, for instance, which was due to start um, next month, has been called off. So all of these writers with new books to take out to writers' festivals to talk about or to launch in, um, in front of a bunch of people who then buy the book and then um, it sort of fans out from there. That's kind of been shut down. Although um, book sales are doing really well. Right, so it's a question of sort of finding mm. a niche, I suppose, or, or getting to the eyeballs of potential readers. And Julia's book, I think, well, it's, I think this week it was the top-selling non-fiction book, and the reason for that is that it's actually incredibly timely book. Um, yeah, for sure. Out of, I mean, it's a very personal book for her. It's about her um, her health struggles but also how she has kind of found a way to find joy and, um, and awe in all sorts of things at a time when the world has kind of gone dark. And given that the world is kind of going dark for a lot of people, it's a very, very timely book. It's a beautiful read and um, I can see just from people responding to it that it is hitting absolutely the chord that kind of I felt when I read it for the first time. Yeah, and it's, she's a wonderful writer, like beautiful turn of phrase and um, I, I think she's fantastic, really intelligent, really insightful. Yeah. She's great. And she always errs towards generosity. I mean, like mm -hmm. even when you see the way that she operates kind of in the media and online on social media, I really treasure that about her. Like she works really hard um, and she does a lot of research. I mean, this book, even though it's kind of about... Um, it's about um, phosphorescence, you know, and, and finding light from within yourself. But it's impeccably researched and um, so there's a lot of heft to what she writes always, but also just this sense of generosity and I really admire that about her as a writer and as a person, I must say. Um. I haven't really been reading anything, um, to be honest, other than news stuff, um, but I did start rereading Russell Brand's uh, Bookie Wook. Oh, right. I've never read. They are Bookie Wook and Bookie Wook 2 are two of the funniest books that you will ever read. And he's done that. I mean, I think we've established over five years of doing this podcast for anyone who's listened to it. There's nothing you and I like more than a memoir in which the person seems to have no concept whatsoever that lots of other people are going to read this. They're not caring about their image or what you might think of them, that they just blab out everything. Russell Brand's in that school. Um, and he's also, um, so it's full of like sort of unflattering stories about himself, but he's also, he's got quite an unusual voice. Like if you've ever heard him speak, um, he speaks really fast. He has a million thoughts that sort of roll together He's very smart. He's very funny. And and he's managed in the book to sort of capture his voice really well, which I thought was something actually that Keith Richards' book did. Whoever ghostwrote that captured his voice very well too. So there was a link the other day. Somebody put up a link to um, the top 25 Hollywood memoirs, which I immediately bookmarked and then lost the bookmark for, but I can find it again and send it to you. Oh, yeah, please do. It's fun just to read and it's like, 
right up your bracket, lady. Yeah, um, and often I find when I'm um, like when I've got a lot going on or a lot of personal stress or busy at work or whatever, I'm looking for stuff that's entertaining but very undemanding and celebrity memoirs I think often fill that space <laughs> really, really well. I just love the way you keep a straight face when you talk it through your trash tastes. Um, <laughs> just before, and like we we do have Gwen on standby, so like just pull her in. Thumbs up if you uh, if you're ready for the horse, because wow, I'm always ready for the horse. I'm always three thumbs up for the horse. I just want to mention one more thing. In my view, a very timely book. Um, it is a non-fiction book, so if you are you know starved of a bit of non-fiction um, content in your confinement. This is actually a very um, surprisingly timely and inspiring book, very positive. It's called Soul. It's by Andrew Ware. And it is this collection of um, quite um, engagingly written accounts of how other countries have solved difficult problems. And it's, it's inspirational because, you know, we get very bogged down into issues that we all face that seem intractable, you know, in the place where we live. And one of the most remarkable things about the last fortnight, I think, is the um is the is the um the fact that we've all changed gear and things that we thought were impossible, you know, a week or two ago are not impossible. And anyway, this book looks at everything from, you know, how South Korea went from, you know, being a war zone to being the healthiest country in the world, um, everything to, you know, Arizona and how Arizona had a look at Phoenix and said, why is this city so windy and car-dominated and dreadful and lonely? How can we bring life back into our city centre? So just all of these different social problems that different countries have engaged with and used really imaginative um, techniques to fix. And, and I is there any commonality that you're able to draw from when you look at all that disparate stuff about what actually are the keys? Yeah, I think, um, well, leadership is a really big part of it, of course, and also just not accepting um, all of your historical ideas about what is okay and what's not okay. And I think that particularly in peaceful democracies like Australia, we develop these kind of baked-in orthodoxies about what's okay and what's not okay. I mean, in politics it happens all the time, right? Like, you know, Bronwyn Bishop um, spearheads an unsuccessful attempt at aged care reform, you know, in the 1990s and all of a sudden everyone just says, oh, you can't reform aged care, it's too hard, you know, it's a disaster, you can't do it. Um, and so that becomes the orthodoxy for, you know, generations or, you know, you can't touch things like, I don't know, uh, negative gearing or, or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, we get these orthodoxies that become encrusted and so we think that that's, you know, there are rules about what you can and can't do. So, I mean, I think one of the, um, uh, one of the elements of crisis is that it almost always presents an opportunity for leadership, for doing things differently. And if I'm an optimist about what's happening at the moment, it's that um, these catastrophic events cause people to step out of their political mindsets, their um, 
their um, encrusted, baked in um, assumptions about, you know, what they themselves, their political colleagues or their constituencies are capable of. So, yeah. One of the things um, I learned in researching my own book as well is how adaptable human beings are. Like human beings are amazingly adaptable. Stuff that you think, like you think even in Australian life now, stuff that you would think, well, I just wouldn't be able to adapt to that already in about four weeks we've adapted reasonably well to the degree that I sort of wonder now, like I think my level of um, paranoia around people coming too close to me or my hands, like I, now when people serve me in the shop, I'm just watching their hands the entire time to see like what part of the packet they're touching. Like it's, just, it's hard to imagine un unravelling this way of thinking, but I didn't think like this four weeks ago. I can't watch the Donald Trump press conference. I mean, for a look, there's, because they're all standing so close together. And I think, oh, for real? That's so close. I know. It's just. Let's not get into that. But um, I apologise to, uh, to the watcher, to the viewer who's just said, the sound and audio are a lot better when you're not moving your hands around Annabelle Crab. And I accept that. But, you know, I is what I is. Um, should we do a quick horse? Yeah, let's do the horse. Right, come on. Let's, just bring, let's bring Gwenny in. It's, it's always a good time to do the horse. Bring her in. Oh no! Oh no! She's gone. No, she's not gone. But like, because I'm a cheap ass, I uh, I have to buy a standard plus to use multiple guests feature. Oh, if you'd, like, if you'd like to broadcast your friend doing a horse impersonation, that'll be an extra seven ninety nine a month. <laughs> For real, I can't have another guest because I need to upgrade to standard plus. Look, we're using the Be Live um, app, which is terrific, but I haven't paid one cent at any oh point. And the uh, restrictions of this format are just live presenting themselves and now. Can I, I'll can I tell our audience as well that I have pretty much lumped 100%, well, not even pretty much, I have lumped 100% of all organisation, technology wrangling, every last thing to do with it, just straight onto Crab's lap and said, you've got to do it. I just, if, if I have to do it, it just won't happen. You've got to do it. And yeah. you've stepped up and you've done an amazing job. Look at this. Except that we can't get the horse. But anyway, look, we'll get the horse next time. Um, now, I can just post on the horse. Also, microphones, that's why the sound is better. And I'm sorry about moving my hands around. I'm sorry. I just, that's what I do. Uh, now, I, I just noticed Catherine Medhurst just asked a question on the side, which was, have I yet watched Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? And many chatters have asked me this. And so I've had it on the list to talk about for weeks and weeks and keep forgetting. So I'm just going to address it now. Um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is a TV show on Stan. And it is um, about a girl who starts hearing people's thoughts in the form of a song and in so she sees like everyone in her life starts doing musical numbers and then but she's the only one who sees it and what the musical numbers represent are these people's innermost secret thoughts about things um tangential to that her father's got this locked in syndrome and she is able to sort of understand what he's thinking because she of course sees him doing musical numbers um so lots of people have asked me if i like it no, I don't. I'm sorry to say, I do not like it. Uh, oh my God, two things happened just then. One, I was having a drink while you just went and crushed the dreams of all the Zoe's people. And the other thing is, there was a fly in my drink. Uh, that wasn't on George's restaurant. Oh dear. Yuck. Wow, I had a flying insect. Oh, <laughs> yuck, gross. 
Um, yeah, I don't like it. I think it's too try hard. And I think that the premise of, I, I, I just get bogged down all the time in, so what's actually, ha- when she sees this thing, what does time stand still for everybody else? It's like some rip in the space-time continuum that she sees this song. Like, I just find it really annoying, frankly. Um, so, so sorry, everyone, that has been thinking that I would like it. Mummy no like. Crazy mixed up lady. You're a riddle wrapped in an enigma. Um, and I do know, however. Yeah. I know we've been watching the same thing because, do you know why? We've got this little app called AnyList on the phone. Yeah. Where it's, it's basically an app where you share shopping lists, but, you know, with your beloved. But we use it to put like little, like, I've read a book, I'll put it on the list that I share with Lee so that we don't lose track of, you know, things that we've read or seen or whatever. And I watched the first episode on Monday night of Tiger King on Netflix and once I'd picked myself up off the floor after the first episode, I went sort of haggardly to put it in any list and um, it was already there. So I know that you've been watching it too. I've watched one and a half episodes. How much have you watched? The whole thing, baby. Okay, I'm not going to watch anymore. So, um, so let's. You want to? Okay, so hard these days. So you, I know everyone's sort of. Um, Tiger King seems to be the show du jour that everybody's watching and wanting to talk about. So you start first with. So you obviously liked it if you watched the whole thing. Well, I just found it completely terrifying and kind of it, it it knitted into my general concerns about America at the moment with sort of this it calling you anyone interesting no, <laughs> no. Um, wait, wait colleague hang on I'll just hey mate I'm just in the middle of doing a live podcast who is it hello hello I think it's a bum doll no it's bum doll yep carry on one as you think you are maybe Lisa <laughs> <laughs> about um this guy who owns a zoo in it's in oklahoma right like um and his name is joe exotic or that's the name that he's assumed and he's got 250 tigers that just live in the zoo and he you know you can go there and pay money and um pat a tiger cub and the thing that absolutely electrified me in the first episode was the news that there are more tigers owned privately in the United States than there are in the wild in the whole world. And that made me, I just made me feel pretty awful. Mm. (laughs) And the, so Joe Exotic is uh, currently uh, doing prison time um, for uh, attempting to organise the murder of an animal rights, well, supposed animal rights kind of activist it the whole thing is i've just never seen such people gathered together and it is the most mind-blowing cast of characters for a documentary you just every twist and turn and detail of human behavior is just completely bonkers why have you stopped watching it um you sort of touched on it there with the um, more tigers in private ownership than um, in the wild. I absolutely love tigers. And prior to watching the start of this, I would have said on my bucket list, which is very short because there's only one thing on it, the one thing on it would be patting a baby tiger. Like I would absolutely 
love to pat a baby tiger. Like I just think they are the most beautiful animals that you could ever see. Like they're just so beautiful. I always want to cry when I think of them. They're so beautiful. And um, I just found this, I this, and I know, you know, from when I lived in the States and it, it was, you know, a story, particularly in Florida, bizarrely, the trade in exotic animals and the black market in exotic animals is unbelievable. In fact, we've had a story in, on 7.30 about the trade in WA in exotic animals. Um, and I just found watching, like, all the tigers and people coming in and patting them and just their life um really uncomfortable to watch and in the one and a half episodes the woman who was the tiger rights person I felt like she and Joe Exotic were like a flip side of the same coin which was people that were just choosing different ways to indulge their obsession in um these sort of big cats and then also the people who worked at Joe Exotic's place um Again, I felt sort of like when I was a reporter in the US, I mean, I didn't meet people like that, but I, I reported in lots of very depressed places where people do it really tough. And I just, all of those people reminded me of how America makes life so hard for people if you are poor, marginalised. Um, and, yeah, I just, I found it really an uncomfortable watch. Oh, and it wasn't compelling enough to hold my interest over my discomfort. Yeah. I, one of the things that was massively telling about that particular guy and, you know, there are other um, big cat establishments um, featured in the doco um, was that he, he would recruit at local bus stations, he would recruit among people who just got out of prison who had nowhere else to go and he'd just say, well, hey, do you want to come and work for, like, pretty minimal wage but you get to like hang out with tiger cubs and they'd be like sure absolutely and they're living in like rat infested um huts and stuff but absolutely loyal to him because he had kind of given them a chance and given them a chance to hang out with tiger cubs the mm. most amazing character in this series is actually um one of the keepers who um works for him who's this woman who um one day was feeding tigers and got her arm essentially torn off by a tiger um, and went and had it amputated in hospital and was back at work um, a week later. And she is incredible because she's, she's interviewed during the first episode and she's got such a great face that I was just looking at her face and hearing her voice and listening to what she was saying and I did not notice that she oh, wow. had like I didn't notice that. Oh, then, see, my friend who was, I was watching it with a friend at the same time and we were texting and right. we both clocked that she was missing an arm and that for the whole first episode she was interviewed and there was no mention of it and we were texting and saying, when you when are they going to tell us what happened to that arm because it's framed so you can see that she's lost an arm like do we well, think that that's, that's why they pay you the big butts Lee sales because I didn't notice that there was only one arm going on I don't know she's just got a really great face and I um and then when it all fell into place I think the second episode is where you see you know what happens to her oh, just far out but anyway I you know I watched it all 
I watched it all. Um, do you know, it's actually now, it's made me feel like I, I mean, I would absolutely love to pat a baby tiger, but it's made me feel like I would not seek out to do that because the only way that I'd be able to do that would be a tiger in captivity. And I feel so just appalled by it that I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Hey, listen, I'm just getting live updates. Just, oh, my God, every single thing about this show takes me by surprise. Um, I'm being advised in the comments that Saf, who is the character that I referred to with the one arm, actually identifies as male. I totally missed that. So um, oh. my use of the female pronoun, not correct. Another thing that I failed to pick up. So well, that was not revealed in the episodes that I watched. So, um, um, well, no, I don't think it ever was revealed. I think it was just oh. a question of drawing your own conclusions. So, I'm oh. playing blinder tonight, love. At least how, I do know, how do we know that's right, though, that that person said because that? Because about 50 people have just. Um, oh, okay, right. We haven't got one, you know, person just going, hey, by the way, and there's a, there's a massive. Oh, uh, okay, right. By the way, um, Hey, can I share one other thing that surprisingly I didn't like? Um, the stranger. This much of a downer all night? Is that your plan? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just realising that I'm talking all about stuff I don't like instead of stuff I do like. Um, the the stranger oh, that you. Come on. Yeah, come I know. On. <laughs> I know that you said last week that you'd watched it all in one week. You'd absolutely loved it. And so I sort of thought, you beauty, this is going to be my, you know, locked-in viewing. And so when I gave up on the Tigers, I started it. Um, I was finding it sort of a bit mediocre and a bit try-hard. <laughs> wow. Like if you just said it was too confronting or, you know, but wow, mediocre and try-hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's in response to that. That's yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Oh, by the way, says my niece was bitten by a tiger at a circus uh, ten years ago. Still triggered by this series. Oh my god, this oh, is. Uh, god. Oh, hello, Katie chops his back. Still going, yeah. Why do you have all this stuff? Why do I have all this stuff? Like this. Well, that's a microphone. Why do you have this on the light? That's a light. I know, but why do you have the napkin on the light? I have the napkin on the light because it provides a professional filtered look that I was hoping would go unidentified <laughs> until you came and just called me out. All right, yeah, yeah sure. I do have a napkin over that light. It's my son's desktop light that I've repurposed with a napkin that was part of my mother's trousseau. Oh, there you go. I just thought it would be less flammable than your contemporary napkin, so that's why I use that. Somebody just asked before if maybe I'm just, um, like, not enjoying anything on Netflix. I suspect there is a degree at the moment of utter distraction on my behalf, and so you know how when you're distracted you don't fully absorb into things? So it might just be that everything that's pulling my attention off work I'm finding a little bit irritating or something, but I don't know. Anyway, it does seem odd that everything I'm consuming, I'm like, oh, I don't really like it. Oh, I don't really like it. I don't really like it. <laughs> Seems okay, good. So I've just caught a um, comment by Olive Pink. Superb name, by the way, Olive Pink. Um, Pink Olive, exactly. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, uh, who says, so ridiculous, by the end we were openly mocking it. The stranger? 
on the stranger, yeah. Oh, yeah. It does seem a bit like that. But anyway, I'll I'll sort of carry on watching 15 minutes a night and that'll... Oh, don't do me any favours, Lee Sales. Why don't you just, like, kick it to the curb, please? <laughs> hey, can I tell you, um, before I know you shut me down because I can feel that you're already summar- summarising me... I've got the tweet summary and I've just got my finger poised over it. As we used to say in newspaper publishing when newspapers were still published. Um, I saw an, uh, a documentary, a film documentary recently, and it's been out for a little bit, so it might be one of those ones that everybody's seen except for me, but I, it was just gobsmacking. It's called Three Identical Strangers. Mm. And um, it's a doco about three men who found each other when they were in their late teens, early 20s, and this is how they found each other. Um, This guy called Bobby went to college. For his first year in college, he'd been somewhere else for college and not really liked it, so he turned up to a new college and everybody else had already been there for a year or two. And he showed up to move into his dormitory, and when he showed up, one of the weird things that happened was his name was Bobby, but as he walked across the campus, people kept greeting him as Eddie and he thought this is so weird what's going on and he went and moved into his uh room and his roommate said hey Eddie I didn't think you were coming back this year and he's like why is everyone calling me Eddie and the guy says but you are Eddie right he says no my name is Bobby anyway they work out that Eddie has uh the same birthday the same appearance as Bobby, they are just completely identical to each other. And so that day concludes with the roommate throwing Bobby into the car and driving him to Eddie's place where they knock on the door and they the door is opened and they are identical to each other. And so this then becomes this sort of local news story. I think it's like the, some Long Island newspaper is like, wow, look at this, identical twins because they were both adopted and they both have the same birthday. And so uh, there's this, you know, little news tsunami and it's on, you know, and it starts to spread as a story. And then another family in the New York um, area picks up this news story and goes, wow, that's like our kid David. Oh. Like, that's the same, like identical to our son David, who also has the same birthday. They're reading this news story with like shaking knees because they have exactly the same young man as is being outlined in this. It's completely bonkers. So this happened in 1980 and um these three young men were eventually reunited, brought together. They were bizarrely similar. They'd all done wrestling. Yeah, Bobby, Eddie and David. Yeah, funny. And um, they smoked the same brand of cigarettes. They all were into older women. Anyway, whatever. Wow. They were really similar. And they became this instant sensation, right? Like they were on the Donahue show. They had a bit part in um, Desperately Seeking Susan. Mm. Um, they became celebrities. Now, I was too young at the time because I'm very young to remember that, but um, this doco kind of takes you through what happens to these young men. 
the weird thing is that they um, they were all adopted out through the same adoption agency, and the really um, intriguing part of this film, beyond just the whole wow, these kids reunited in adulthood um, after never having known each other growing up, they were adopted out as babies, all separately by the same agency, was that it then turns out that the agency is sort of in cooperation with um, a, a kind of a research experiment that is looking at uh, nature v nurture and what happens when you separate identical um, twins and triplets. And that is the truly intriguing part of the film is looking at why they were separated and why they never knew and they the families who adopted them never knew that they had siblings it's it's quite an astounding film um did you listen to a podcast about this as well i don't believe so oh, okay maybe i've read something about it because it's ringing a vague bell to me or maybe it's, it's obviously a very famous story so maybe well maybe it is because i or maybe we read something about it because when I watched this film, I thought, remember, I, I actually texted you and I said, have you watched this film, um, Three Identical Strangers, it's about, and I gave you the sort of thumbnail, and you said, oh, no, I haven't seen that. But I feel like we've discussed something, I feel like it I seems familiar to an episode of This American Life or something where something similar happens, but I can't. Oh, my God. All right. Okay, sorry. This has happened again. Just had a message from Gwen saying, FFS, I told you both about it. Oh, my God, it's happened again. Oh, my God, I'm sorry, Gwen. <laughs> so bad. All right. It's like Gwen, Gwen must feel like she's invisible because she tells us stuff and then when we recount it, it's like she's just a big invisible presence that we don't remember that Gwen is the person who's actually told us about it. <laughs> sorry, oh, Gwen. Oh, sorry, Gwen. Oh. Also, Shania says, Crab always gives away too much about the stuff she reviews. That's true. She's sorry. Wow. Um, I've really got a hold of that. It's hard to get the real-time feedback, isn't it? But, like, there's heaps of good stuff left in that doco, I promise. And also, sorry, Gwen, I, I do feel like sometimes I have a trouble remembering who's told me stuff, but it's not just always Gwen. Like, there's all sorts of other people who mention stuff and then I enthusiastically tell them about the thing. The most famous Gwen example, of course, was when she told both of us about that story about um, Queen. Queen, you know, put her handbag at different places, you know, on a table or on the floor to signify to her handlers, um, you know, when she's had enough of their company or whatever. And she told us that story and you then became seized with the idea that I was the expert on this to the extent that you then made me come on your show and talk about it. Um, I'm like, I, I don't think I told you about that, but I can no event ever. I basically just bullied you and you were like, I don't feel like I know that much. Oh, you do, you do. You told me about it on Saturday night. You know heaps about it. Come on, I'll see you in the office at 4.30. And then Gwen's texted me after the show and gone, sales, you bloody idiot. That was me that told you about it. I know, right? And luckily I am a journalist, so I'm completely able to pretend to be an expert on something. And I had just been to the royal wedding, so, you know, I've got, I've got the flyer miles for, you know, royal stories. What you don't know about royals ain't worth knowing. Um, just um, breaking news, I just noticed when I uh, sort of just secretly Googled Joe Exotic before, mm. 
guy, Tiger King. He is apparently he's got, got corona. In yeah, prison. he does in prison. Okay. <sighs> oh. Right, well, um, I think I'm going to uh, disappear and go. Can on. I do one thing? I know you want to disappear, and I'm I'm gonna let you disappear, Lee Sales. I'm gonna let you disappear. But um, you know how last time we met, we were talking about um musicians and artists who, I mean, God, this is only two weeks ago and we were thinking that um, this was, you know, this thing that was striking creative people because all of a sudden all these events and, you know, concerts and gatherings and plays and things weren't happening. Um, this evening I got an email from Rod Snars Rob Snarsky, who is, like, one of Australia's great vocalists, in my opinion. Um, he's... Um, famous for Black Eyed Susans and Chad's Tree. He every now and again gets together and does Triffids covers with various um, excellent people. I'm a massive Triffids fan, so that really gets me in my, you know, warm place. Anyway, um, like all musicians, deprived of the opportunity to perform gigs or whatever, but he's doing this thing where if you put together a few thoughts and maybe a little story or an idea, an email through to him, he'll write you a song. And um, <laughs> there's a flat rate. And if you add a little more, he'll get more musicians involved. And anyway, this email was written in his classic diffident style. But I thought, wow, what a great idea. Like, imagine what an opportunity. And I'm sure there must be other musicians doing it to, um, to commission a a work from a creative artist. Anyway, good luck to him. I love Rob, Rob Snarsky and I'm totally going to try and get a song. <laughs> good thinking. Good thinking, Toots. Um, okay, well, I'll see you same bat time, same bat channel. Absolutely. Well, we're going to try and get together again. It's obviously um, massively uh, constrained by, well, mainly Lee Sales' time. She's so busy brutally summarising the Prime Minister, but, you know, um, it's really nice to feel like we're making a connection with everybody in all of our disparate households across this great continent. We're not going out and doing fun things. So we're staying out and in and doing fun things, which is pretty cool. And occasionally our children take over our Facebook accounts. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that kid is being disciplined. Crab's son took over a Facebook account the other day and it was pretty told, funny. Yeah, he sort of dissed you. So <laughs> His opening line was, I'm Annabelle's son and she is nowhere near as nice as you all think she is. But then I noticed that when challenged, he really couldn't come up with anything truly awful that I'd done apart from make him do homework. No. Bless him. Anyway, nice to see your mug, lady. Yours too. I'll catch you soon. You must be overdue for another crumpet. <laughs> Heading straight downstairs to eat a whole roast chicken now. You know. <laughs> oh my God. Good night, Thanks See for joining us. <laughs>